0: This podcast is from HeptagonClub.co.uk and PaulCarenza.com The Heptagon Club Heptagon Club Heptagon Club with Paul Carenza Seven Guests, Seven Corners
1: On this week's show Some people, some other people, and some other people Seven fantastic guests in seven lovely corners And your host
0: Mr. Paul Carenza.
1: Uh, hello, podcast listeners. It's Paul Carenza here. Welcome to the Heptagon Club. In theory, this is a joyous Christmas special. Uh, in practice, this is one of those episodes where I tell you that I had it ready to go, all edited, all about to go, and then, well, Audacity, the program I used to edit this, decided to not only delete everything, but to save that as deleted. And much as I've tried on the internet, my limited knowledge has not enabled me To recover that otherwise finished podcast. So um, I've denied what to do. Do I just not put anything out right now? Because uh, it's Christmas... And um, I've kind of got stuff to do. And I don't mean that as a kind of like, well, there's always time to podcast. I'm having a corneal transplant uh, in a day's time. I'm having someone else's cornea for Christmas and hopefully for life. That's that's the theory. So I'm going to be unable to see anything for a few days uh, or weeks uh, from about 48 hours time. So there's a bit of a deadline, obviously, to try and get this podcast out. I wanted to put something out there, um, just to uh, uh, you know, just before Christmas, because I've got this Christmas podcast ready to go. So anyway, my point is, I'm going to try and couple something together. Uh, we're going to try and get seven guests on. It may not be the beautifully finished product that is now being lost uh, to the recycle bin forevermore. Oh, that's the point. Have I checked the recycle bin? I, I have it. It's not there. Uh, so uh, we have got seven guests. We've got Jimmy Cricket this week, uh, and we have various other people that I will be uh, making sure we can hear uh, between now and the end of this uh, podcast. Um, and then, as I say, from here I will go forth and have some lovely pre-Christmas surgery. And oh, we've got some jingle bells, by the way. Just to there you go, tell you it's Christmas. And all uh, oh, the chat is coming in, so we better get in, uh, Mr. Jimmy Cricket. Our first Christmas guest. Jimmy. Jimmy Cricket. Sir Jimmy of Cricket. Um, Actually, you you have a a papal knighthood.
2: Yes, yes. Yes, uh, uh, Well, it means I've got to, um, Paul, um, defend the poor, look after the vulnerable, protect the Holy See from the grim forces of evil. But first... A song. Absolutely. <laughs> well, no, no,
3: well, that's what I did all right. I figured you couldn't help yourself, <laughs> didn't
2: you? Uh, you know, the, uh,
1: the eternal showman that you are, absolutely.
2: Um, it's like the great Vera Lynn. Harry Sikkim used to say she sang the Nazis to death, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, have, when did you start performing? When did you start doing comedy shows? You can it? hear the tap dancing and fox there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't when I was a kid in Belfast. We had a shop. My Mum and Dad and uh, I used to go out and do Al Jolson. will you believe it? So it's just something must have been in the genes. How on earth could a three year old know about Al Jolson unless they were... So you were three uh, years? yeah. Well, I look back, yeah! yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I look back. And of course the, the Mum and Dad were slightly, yeah. a little bit embarrassed, so they didn't, because the shop went onto living quarters you see. So I would appear in between the living quarters to, the customers find earth. this incredible, put them up and dance and get in there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so and uh, so and then I sort of my um, father and my elder brother uh, used to take me to the local theatres there, the Grand Opera House and there's another one called the Empire and he used to see shows and just yeah and the whole thing. They had orchestras there and you see. It was twice the nightly variety. Dickie Valentine would come out, he'd be the top of he'd, he'd only do half an hour. You would have uh, Mickey and Griffa County duo on, then there'd be Jugglers, Martin Fraser's Harmonica Gang. You'd get the extra in like ten minutes, just or eleven or twelve. Billy Dindy would be doing his eccentric It was just two and a quarter hours of pure escapism, really. All accompanied by an orchestra. Mm. Seven or eight piece. And you know something? Paul, the actual MD, uh, Mr. Cooney, was at the school. I was at St. Patrick's, and I I never he, I could have learnt recording and all that you know you talk about sometimes you think you could kick yourself mm. he was this great man and I could have learnt and then gone to the shows and things and maybe befriended him and, and got into show business earlier yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you could kind have of cut a few years off yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I took the long yeah. route yes yes,
1: yeah. well you say that Laura you, I mean, you've been before me now for however many decades I don't know but um...
2: I always sort of think it. Uh, uh, I became a Red Coat and Butlins in Ireland I okay. was transferred over here so the early 20s were Red Coat and Blue Coat days mm. if you didn't include them. I went full-time when I was about mid-twenties, 26, 20, when I met my good lady. She was 16 at the holiday camp. She's with us tonight, bless her, cut yes. and pick and socks. And uh, so we've been married 42 years, but we've known each other 44, so I would really be a full-time. Wow. Yeah. Good work, good work. Yeah, mm. yeah, you hang on in, you know, and mm. uh, we just loved every minute of the, of the peaks and the troughs, really, mm. of it all. Well,
1: um, I remember, without wanting to... Age anybody? I remember <laughs> when I when I was a boy. I I had your joke books. Uh, I had I letters, about mommy. Yeah, letters to my mummy. Yeah, letters to Absolutely, mommy. all that stuff. All that stuff.
2: <laughs> I had it all. You know, so it's yeah. great stuff. I'd always had a nursing sort of write a little bit and sing a little bit, and I juggled a bit when I was small. But I never did it in the in the Halcyon days. But I brought it back into the act, yep. doing it in the comedy way. Uh, I always did the eccentric dancing because one of my favourites was, was Billy Dainty. I love phys- physical comedy, you see, Paul. And uh, so I just developed that a bit. And to be more an all round entertainer, mm. that was a nice thing for me. That, and uh, to, and that meant I was goal orientated. Sure. You know. Sure, yeah.
1: Well, that's the nice thing about you, you know, because you, you're at, is obviously. Um, you know, the comedy is through it, you know, in the, in the DNA of course. But there are you know, there's songs, there's yeah. jokes and stories and all that sort of thing as well. And it's yeah, I think it's so refreshing to see, you know, this idea about the variety it's 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 still there, isn't it? Oh you yeah. Know, you,
2: Britain's yes. got talents, things like that, America's yeah. got talents. Yeah, very much so. There. I think do people do people do the there'll always be a sort of uh, an inkling for it. I mean, mm-hmm. fashions change and things. But then you take Circus Salure. I mean, did they rebranded it and it became a whole new, they put a narrative on to circus acts and made them, you know, part of the story. As long as we can be creative, we can always keep something, can rebrand it really, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely.
1: So, Jimmy, uh, delight to welcome a comedy legend to uh, the Heptagon Club. So the idea, if you haven't heard us before, seven guests, seven corners. Like I said, I'm in kind of a somber mood because we did have this podcast good to go. But Christmas the show must go on and we, we have a show for you here, including a QI Elf. So that would be quite nice. Um, I've had a very busy old time of it as well myself. I've been um, writing the uh, BBC Music Awards script. Uh, if you follow me on Facebook or, or Twitter, you'll see the, uh, the year in review uh, poem that I uh, put out there, which was voiced by Danny Dyer, of all people. Uh, so that was uh, very nice. If you haven't had a chance to find it, have a look online. I've handed in a uh, a book for next Christmas that's due out as well about a, a whole history of Christmas, sixty thousand words on that. Uh, so we'll be trying to maybe spruce the odd Christmas factor through or, or, or two throughout this episode as well. So we'll see how that goes. Um, right now, that let's um, we talk about variety uh, for Mister Cricket. There, this is a, a, a very much the the new variety is this podcast. We have, um, in fact, a guest with a guitar over here, Gav Milnethorpe. Hi, Gav.
0: Hi, Paul. I know you're interested in uh, receiving some fascinating Christmas facts. So yeah, we got some facts. That's fantastic. I've got one for you. I bet you don't know. Did you know that the lovely traditional British Christmas carol "Silent Night"? Wait for it. It's actually German. Stille Nacht, heilige Nacht. Yeah, I did know that. Oh, you did know that. Okay. Alright, well, you may not know that some of our other favourite traditional British Christmas carols are also um, <coughs> German, German. Such as um, uh, Way in a Manger, that's, that's, um, that's German. Im that's in der Krippe, nein, Weiger aus Trau. Bratwurst von Deutschmark all wieder sind and a uh, hark the Herald Angel Sing, that's that's German too. Um, uh, Schnaps Das Indeed even one of the nation's favourite Christmas pop hits is actually a cover version, having been originally penned in eighteen forty eight by Baron Cliff von Rickard. Weihnacht Zeit, die Mistel und Wein, Schnauze, Schnitzel, Kinder, Surprise, Vorsprung, Duck, Technik, Albert Einstein, Lieutenant Gruber's Little Tank. So there you go, I bet you've learnt something right there.
1: Brilliant. Learned a lot. Uh, thank you there, Gav.
4: One
0: thing I was
1: recalling was that you were in Peter Kay's uh, video. Wasn't yes. It? For the um, uh, 500 miles, wasn't it? Is that right?
2: That's right. Well, P- Peter, the, the phone mm. rang one day. And this is nothing, way before uh, 500 days and before uh, Peter. Mm. And it was Peter on the phone. And he said, oh, my mother's from, from Cookstown. See, we're a real, uh, uh, Tyrone. I-, I was born in Tyrone. When I told you about the shop, I moved when I was two. The whole family moved to Belfast, mm. but we're really Tyrone people. And his mum, he said, is from Tyrone. He said, I was on with your son last night, Frankie, uh, our, our Frankie oh, yes. comedian, yeah. uh, Frankie Mulgrew, uh, who became a priest, who's a yeah. Catholic priest now, and we're so proud. He's on... Great. He's chaplain in the local hospital and everything. He's fabulous. But when people pass, actually, the church on the Sunday, the laughter that comes out, people have to look twice to see that it's a church. You know, when they notice homilies, because he brings props and everything, you know? He's oh, incredible. Yeah. So, um... Right, just to bring that back. And he yeah. said, I was on with your son last night and he, 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 he uh, promised to send me a CD of Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, I'll tell him about that. Yeah, And, and then I pitched him about a charity show. Uh, uh, Frank already mentioned it. I said, oh, would you do this? And And he did, he brought his mum along. And that was the early days. That's... So I suppose, Peter, when you when you befriend people, I remember meeting John Bishop oh, yeah. once on a beach in, in Turkey, would you believe it, with his son. And we chatted about life, and then he did a thing called stand-up thing. And they bring you, you life is always yeah one big network, isn't it? it? So is. you meet, you be <laughs> to, you it. it's all stuff. about it. it really is. really. It really so is. So the moral of the story yeah. is be nice to people.
1: You're <laughs> right. Every job I've ever had, and certainly in the writing world, <laughs> right. of everyone, it, has it, been from the one job I did originally for writing. It's so all the people you've met and being nice. Often it was I'd
2: want to work with. You
1: know, them. I've, I've had two jobs where I've got the job because I didn't go to the toilet. And I was, you know, thinking, I need the loo. Oh, there's someone over. Hello, how are you? <laughs> got one. The lesson is, hold it in. Hold <laughs> it in. <laughs>
0: it's all
1: Speaking of charity singles, Jimmy Cricket has got one out for Christmas. Santa, bring my wellies back to me. Google it, do find it, all for a good cause as well. Now, joining Jimmy in Name Dropper's Ingle Nook is returning guest comedian, Dave Thompson. One of our corners on this, uh, in our podcast party here mm. is um, Name Dropping Corner. Oh right, and okay. I just knowing people you've worked with in the past. Yeah. I imagine you may have. Well, um, I'm not one to name drop. But well, exactly,
5: but given that I'm going to encourage you to. Well, the last gig I did was the night before last. Mm. When I turned up to the gig, who should I find waiting for me? Who? But Van Elton Oh really? Yeah. Waiting for you. Come to spe- see me. You didn't oh. tell me he was coming. Even he nice. come to see me. Yeah. Right. But that now becomes less impressive when I tell you yeah. that we've known each other since we were 16.
1: Right, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Really, okay.
5: And that we used to be best mates, and so, you so know...
1: Is that sort of before comedy for both of you, or before yeah, professional be, before, comedy? Yeah, before he
5: started doing comedy, and yeah. He,
1: were you both, were, did you sort of have a comedy interest back then, or and not? Sort of. We not, were both A-level theatre studies students. Ah,
5: okay. At Stratford-on-Avon. Ah, oh, I really?
1: Reckon. Yeah. But he,
5: when he used to do a tour... His first gig of the tour, yeah. he would start off in the 400-seat Cornwall Coliseum in mm. St Austell, which would be the smallest venue he'd play on the tour. Right. And you go out there and you do an hour and a half of material that he'd just written and hadn't even tried out. Wow. Now that's I'm un- unf- I mean that I, I it's mind-boggling for yeah. me you know, yeah that to just write an hour and a half of new stuff and then go on and do it in front of 400
1: paying punters. And he was a fast talker as well. An hour and a half for him is yeah. three hours for the rest of it exactly, probably. Yeah.
5: Wow. Yeah. Wow but amazing I mean the, the man has always just yeah. amazed me with how how hard he works mm. and the commitments he takes on yes absolutely Yeah. yeah. and the funniest yeah. I've ever seen him I think doing stand up was when I saw him doing the warm up the studio audience warm up for the Black Adder 2 ok oh really because he was just so loose and, and um, informal and just working off mm. the situation as he was filling in while they were so you were there the watching scenes. it were you were yeah watching I went it. along oh, as really? his, his guests really? to watch,
2: yeah.
1: do you know which episode it was
5: um, I couldn't tell you which one it was. It was one of the one of the ones, you know, the Elizabethan
1: one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah yes. But I couldn't yes. tell you which one it no, was. I know. Wow. Yeah. I, I found it recently that my uncle and aunt went to Faulty Towers being recorded, Gosh. and they just only just happened to mention. I thought, well, why have you not told me this? You've, not, I've <laughs> loved You've known I've loved comedy for the last two yeah. decades professionally, and um, to just come up, you know. Wow! And I believe they said it lasted about forty minutes, forty-five minutes, and you can tell when what you watch it. You know, the, the mm. set wobbles; they don't yeah. really record it. They are just in a half seven, you're out by quarter past eight, and in the, yeah. in the bar by quarter to nine. You know.
5: So, yeah. Um, well, someone was telling me mm. recently actually they saw a documentary about the making of Faulty Towers, and mm. they were saying how. Um, you know lots of things didn't work properly
1: mm. it was all very you know informal yeah. and under budgeted yes and you look at sitcoms nowadays and everything's recorded three times even if nothing goes wrong just to give you options in the edit yeah there's more cameras Yeah, and it just feels a bit like I don't know maybe we got it wrong maybe mm. we got it wrong Wow, Blackadder the Second, Faulty Towers, old school encounters with our comedy heroes. Now, how about some old school encounters with musical heroes? This is a good friend of mine, uh, and music journalist in his student days, Mr. Russ Bravo.
4: Yes, I, when I was at uni, I did do one or two interesting interviews with oh, yeah. bands at the time. I was working for the student newspaper in right. Cardiff University, so it was quite a um, interesting time because it was late seventies, early eighties. I remember there was a lot of these sort of punk and new wave bands that were touring mm. at the time um, would have been about 1979 80 something like that and at one point I got to interview Virgil Sharkey from the Undertones oh, yeah. right and the weird thing about him was I mean I, I don't know whether it was just that it was it was in vogue at the time or it was mm. a nervous habit but he wouldn't go anywhere without a Rubik's cube really yes and Virgil Sharkey <laughs> Virgil at the Sharkey. Rubik's cube yeah Absolutely, and and all the time I was talking to him, and this was backstage at the top rank in Cardiff. Yeah. Um, he was constantly twizzling this this Rubik's cube. I mean, I didn't actually notice whether he completed. I was going to say, is, this, <laughs> is he one of those who can solve it in eight seconds? Go there, you go. I don't know. No, he I just, know, just kept it was, trying. It was. I don't know. It's just. A, and and it, you know, it was. It was. He, he had a tweed jacket on. I seem to remember, which didn't look very right. sort of undertones. ish. Yeah, but they, yeah. they they were you know, yeah. um, interestingly uh, clothed at the best times um and but yeah no he he would just twizzle his his mm. rubik's cube um other person i saw was um interviewed was a guitarist called alvin lee it's not everybody will know him but he was he was a very big hit at the woodstock festival mm. and um i wanted to talk to him about jimmy hendrix because jimmy hendrix is a real sort of hero yeah, of mine he you know fantastic guitarist and everything and i thought well he will he will have you know played on the same bill mm. as hendrix maybe he went and jammed with him or something I don't know and um, so I managed to get my way backstage and um, uh, Mr Lee was, was prepared to talk although it's probably fair to say he couldn't get out too many coherent sentences okay um, he was in a bit of a he was yes work he, he'd partaken okay. Of, okay. of something or other right. and there was also a young lady who wanted to see him who was obviously far more interested in than, than me so i I had the slightly awkward um experience of trying to interview a man um while he was sort of um being sort of uh met um mm-hmm. right. <laughs> by, I see. by me. a young lady who was obviously keen to go away with him somewhere. Okay. And um <laughs> and interview him further, I'm yes, sure. Indeed. Yes, indeed. So I was trying to sort of say, so what was <coughs> Hendrix like, you know, mm. as a person? Mm. And he would sort of go, you know, oh yeah, he was all right. You know? <laughs> right, that's the best you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is yeah. it? You know, and then did you ever play guitar with them? Well, yeah, I probably did. And right. it, in the end, I, I had to present this interview, um, which I tried to embellish a little mm. yeah. just to provide some content because basically, you know, <laughs> grunts can only get you so far. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But i not. I don't think I've ever met a total music hero, to be honest. Yet, no. Till now, no.
1: Well, tonight, tonight, <laughs> who's going to know he's not here? Yes.
4: So I think, you know, they normally say don't meet the heroes because you'd be disappointed. Well, that's true, that's
1: true. Have
4: you, who have you met then? Who have I met? I had a...
1: Well, my hit, my, my favourite band, as has been widely documented, is Swedish power-pop combo rock set.
4: Okay, yes.
1: And um, I, I, I nearly met them. I've seen them live once or twice. And uh, I, I had the idea a few years ago to do a rock set musical. Right. Um. Because it was a few years ago now, Ben Elton had just done his like third or 4th done We Will Rock You, which was mm. popular. Yeah. He'd done Tonight's Tonight for Roger Stewart, which was less popular, but all yes. right. And suddenly, like every band is getting one of these jukebox musicals. I thought, well, yep. surely who's better to write the rock set musical <laughs> than than a writer and rock set fan, yeah. Paul Carenza? And so I, 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 slightly for a joke, ahead of an Edinburgh Festival show, I thought, I'll, I'll send a letter to their manager. Mm. If I get a reply, I can just to make a little joke about it or something. And, and and I gave the whole synopsis. It was going to be called Joyride, exclamation mark, the rock set musical, about a fairground, the ride, all this sort of stuff was yep, there, yep. tying all the songs. And she replied and said, um, sounds interesting. Okay, let's see if we can... <laughs> I was going, oh, really? Okay. Um, and she lined up a meeting for me with um, one of her contacts, who was one of Sweden's leading a uh, theatre director a member of ABBA wasn't it? it wasn't ABBA no no okay. <laughs> but this guy is a theatre director in Sweden and uh and knows them and we met up, we had a coffee, we talked for an hour or so about my idea. I had to sort of suddenly wax lyrical about this synopsis <laughs> that I'd sort of made up on the back of a beer mat, if I'm honest. And um, go, no, this is really good, yes. this will
4: be really serious. The thing oh. is, people will really care about the characters. Exactly, it's <laughs> all about the characters, all about the
1: characters. Um, without thinking, no, I've just made this up as a little jump between Fading Like a Flower and Listen to Your Heart. And... Um, and, and he, he'd sort of nearly got going so he said we'll write it up a bit and, we'll, and then I'll arrange a meeting for us and, and Pear and Marie which are the two members of Roxette hmm. and, and, so, and I never did it and yeah. only because I thought I could blag my way in front of him for an hour yeah. I don't think I really want to meet my two musical heroes <laughs> and have to you know there's is stuff that you have nightmares about having <laughs> to ad lib for an hour in front of your musical heroes yes. about a show that you've really put no real thought into yeah. so for that reason uh, I've passed on meeting those heroes. But, uh, yeah.
4: so that the, the, the rock set loving public is still waiting. They are still waiting for the rock people, set musical. and if yeah. if ever
1: whatever comes out and I'm not part of it, I'll be really gutted. I, I should have done it. I should have done it. Yeah so speaking of Roxette if you did listen carefully at the BBC Music Awards and if you didn't watch it what's wrong with you? Uh, you would maybe see a little mention of Roxette at one hour 30 minutes and 40 seconds but that's nothing to do with me. Uh, now I've been trying to nobble a few guests at the Music Awards. See uh, Robbie Williams, see if we could get him on the podcast. That'd be nice. He's thinking about it. Kaiser Chiefs, they're going to get back to me. Uh, Craig David's interested but he's checking his diary. He's uh, He's busy Wednesday to Saturday and he's chilling on Sunday but Monday Tuesday look positive so uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes now one thing I wanted to do actually though was uh, I have just handed in this Christmas uh, book a history of Christmas and one of the things I did in it was do the history of the Clement Clarke Moore's uh, visit from St Nicholas you know that famous it uh, was the night before Christmas poem so I've sort of put pen to paper and done a little poem about the history of the poem if that makes sense and I thought I'd give you a little sneak preview here ready for Christmas here we go <clears throat> "'Twas the night before the night before Christmas and all through the den not a sound could be heard but for Dr. Moore's pen. The man was a minister, preacher and writer who penned Hebrew lexicons and now something lighter. He'd studied the myths of St. Nick worth preserving and borrowed ideas from pal Washington Irving. Now Irving's depictions of Santa had sleigh with gifts and one reindeer taking flight Christmas Day. So Dr. Moore scribbled on Christmas Eve Eve this tale of St. Nick, new notions conceived. This jolly old elf now had a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. And he'd gained extra reindeer, dasher and vixen, prancer and dancer, donder and blitzen, comet and cupid. And if someone's excluded, it's a hundred and seventeen years till there's Rudolph. It seems now the chimney is his favorite entrance, the easiest route to deliver the presents. And Doctor Moore changed the events by one day, so it's now Christmas Eve that Santa rides on his sleigh. The Protestant Church still saw Christmas as Catholic, and Doctor Moore thought, well, this dating's elastic. Make it the twenty fourth. Don't get embroiled in questions of Christmas Day rites getting spoiled. Now the very next day, "'Twas the night before Christmas, and Dr. Moore debuted a visit from St. Nicholas. "'His children sat listening, a tale before bed, enthralled by the words that their father now said. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring not even a mouse etc 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 so you get the idea i mean there's some backstory bits need filling in there if you read the book you'll get the whole picture about this history of santa claus and how uh, this poem shifted santa claus arrival from christmas day to christmas eve but that's that's to come next year that's in the book which uh, will be there uh, next year well, lots of our uh, podcast guests this week actually have books you're probably just about in time to get it in time for Christmas, if you're very quick. If not, great New Year reading. Now, one of those people is our next guest, Stephen Colgan. He's been on it before. A QI elf. And what better time for an elf but for Christmas?
3: There's certain aspects of the show that get harder every year. Mm. Like the Christmas show is harder to do every year. Oh, yes. Because, um, you know, they there, there is a finite number of fascinating and quite mm. interesting things to do with Christmas. Yeah. Although, saying that, 13 years on, we're still finding stuff. So. Well, it's funny, so I'm, I'm actually writing at the minute a... Um, I mean, it's been
1: done before, but a history of Christmas, you know, sort of a, like a social history of Christmas. And every day, I'm, I'm finding something new. Once you think you know the Ooh, Santa Claus story... You might have
3: to have a word. Or <laughs> hello, you
1: know. But, um, but you know, you, once you think you know... Um, you know, how it came in and out, the pagan thing or the Victorian thing or Prince Albert, and the Christmas tree, and then suddenly you unpick something else. And, um, you know, I mean, and also there's loads of, as you'll know with, with trivia, of course, there's all these legends and, you know, you, once you land on a thing, like there's this thing about the guy who invented Christmas lighting was working in his, at a switchboard and saw the lights light up. You think, what brilliant. And yeah. then you read actually that 10 years before it looked like someone else did it. Yeah, so, I know. I know. They, you they, know, you want to believe it, don't you? But, that's
3: one of the really difficult things, again, with QI, because it, it's it's not intended to be... Um, an encyclopedia. Mm. It's not intended mm. to be uh, an episode of, you know, Horizon or something like that. Bit, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, QI is an entertainment show. That's why all the people on the mm. show invariably are comedians. Um, but, the, but the way we look at it is that, you know, everything's, if you, everything's interesting if you mm. look at it in the right way.
0: Mm.
3: So you can take, you know, a, a subject like gravel and there's they'll, you'll find something interesting to talk about gravel mm. and the fact that it's, it's, a, it's a funny idea that, that gravel mm. can be interesting. That yeah. sort of... Makes the show work, and yeah. it's um, yeah. But the, but but the problem is that if we do get something wrong, which doesn't happen often, but it mm. does happen. You know, everyone's human. Um, it, you get these these rabid people I writing bet, it on last week's show. Stephen Fry said this, and I know it's not true. And, and <laughs> yeah. as if we're the sort of arbiters of what what truth is. And, and I, I imagine should... as well that facts must
1: change as well. Things oh. that were true in first in series A, right um, yeah, By now must be.
3: Absolutely. It must have changed
1: or something.
5: I
3: well, I, I had one particular incident on, not last series, well, not the one that's on TV at the moment, mm. and one of the facts on there was relating to um, Felix Baumgartner, you know, the guy who did the jump oh, from yeah. the capsule in space on mm. the giant balloon, because the one record, everyone talked about the fact he'd broken a speed record and the altitude record and all those sorts of things, but the one record no one had mentioned was the fact that the balloon he went up on is the largest balloon that's ever been made by a human. Um, so I thought, oh, well, let's put that in, little and large. And I had this fantastic graphic of how big the balloon was compared to things like the Empire State Building and Nelson's Column and things. After we recorded the show, literally, I think, about <laughs> a week after we recorded the show, Baumgartner's record got beaten Oh no! by, I think, a player called Alan Gardner, um, who, who basically did it very low-key, didn't mm. have all this business with Red Bull <laughs> sponsoring it and the big TV show and that, basically strapped himself to a balloon, went up even higher and then fell down. Uh, <laughs> So of course we had to run a ticker tape across the bottom because because the way the show works, cut cut the flow in. of the conversation, mm. if we cut that question out completely, it would not lead into the next question mm. or the question after that or even a um someone referencing it later on in the show, yep. you know, yep. and it's Oh yep. god. And it's uh, that happens and the the other thing that happened was during the um which series was it? Which series was it? There was a There was a very interesting book, it's on the shelf just behind you there, called um, The Half-Life of Facts. Right. And it was all about, it's it's basically about a guy who went back through a load of scientific papers and and ran a few sort of programs and algorithms to see how accurate they were. And he discovered Mm. that there is is a kind of decay rate of facts, that's why he called it The (laughs) Half-Life of Facts, and that things that, you know, if you look at scientific papers ten years ago... There's X percentage of the, of the information that's now wrong. If you go back 20 years ago, X percentage it grows, and this, and the further you go back, there's this percentage. So mm. when we did the, I think it was the, I think it was the I series and in information. What we did, yeah, it must have been because that was about the 10 year mark for QI. So what we did was we thought, well, if in 10 years' time there's X amount of percentage of facts that are wrong, let's go back and look at mm. some of the earlier questions from the earlier series, the ABCD series. I see how many of those are right, and sure enough, the percentage was about right. So we ran those questions again in the shows, uh, and actually had um, dog Bob. Yeah, right. uh, Yeah, we actually had you know Alan re-answering questions he'd answered before, but now right. of course the answer was different. And were there ones that he people
1: had been told were wrong before? And now, they're actually, it turned out. You know, sort of, is this the case? I, I, I don't know. think we
3: have one where the answer they gave on the on you the gotta, day
1: was right. Now, right. So um, no, no, no points necessary. Ten years on. To no, go to I think the only time we ever did yeah. that
3: was uh, with with Dario Brian, where mm. he made a point about the triple, free, the triple point freezing point of water or something like that, mm. which we then found out was wrong. So we took his points away retrospectively. <laughs> this, the series <laughs> afterwards. So he started the show on minus uh. twenty or something. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> and he was like, what? Poor fella. You know, I know. Poor yeah fella. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So Christmas QI is on over the season, uh, as has been the conclusion of The Apprentice. Uh, so while uh, we're bringing back much beloved guests to the Hepticon Club, I wanted to get back Richard Woods. He was on our first episode, and he was the bronze place of the last series of The Apprentice, the runner-up, runner-up. Uh, he was on the winning team more than anyone else uh, in the history of The Apprentice, in fact. Um, but once he did enter the Dreaded Bridge Café. You wouldn't know much about, I guess, because you kept winning, but the café that you end up going to, uh, is the tea cold and you've got to pretend it's warm? That's my theory. <laughs> hours of filming, it's just cold, cold tea.
6: I think half confirmed. Okay, it goes cold. Fair play. It goes We're just cold. talking about the temperature of tea, aren't we? Really? Yeah, play. it just Good goes tonight. out. But it is, but it is proper tea, though. I mean, you oh, get right. you, you know. But there's um, there's no real toilets in it, so it's. You have to, <laughs> oh no. You, the bridge cafe. There's actually two yeah. bridge cafes. One of them is really mm. shabby, the small one that you see from the outside with the bridge mm-hmm. cafe on it, and then the other one is another cafe which is equally as bad. Mm-hmm. But I think they're taking it in turns because right. we <laughs> book it out for a whole day, but they. Okay. Only purchase like five cups of tea so right. <laughs> It's not quite yeah. good financially. Yeah. But you, with the real bridge camp, you walk through the, the horrible kitchens, round the back, and it's just an outside toilet. in in a wooden shed and all the girls are in there like highly make up trying to use blue and and she's way too glamorous for even you know that part of london let alone anywhere else and it's just you know ridiculous yeah wow
1: more richard in a moment but uh, stephen colgan is over here browsing the entertainment shelves. so i wonder what his influential tv was the qi before qi
3: back in the 70s and 80s uh, a guy called james burke on tv used to do a series called connections which was one of my favourite TV shows. It was extraordinary. He'd start off at say the Twin Towers
0: mm.
3: in, in New York, and he'd talk about what's the connection between. It's quite spooky. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's on YouTube. The very first episode, connection series one episode one, starts off with him talking about a plane crash and the Twin Towers. Really, it's really spooky. Although he's not talking about the plane crashing into the Twin no, Towers, of course. but yeah. it's really yeah. weird that he's standing there with this airplane going over and an airplane going. You know, <sighs> but um, but yeah, but it was all about in that episode he talked about. You know the guy who invented the electric motor, and the guys who invented the black box, and the mm. guys who invented um, the structural shape of the buildings so that you could have tower blocks. It's just extraordinary the way he connected everything together, mm. and that's always interested me. Yes. So yes. I, I, did this, I, I had this sudden inspiration. I've I'd, I'd been playing a game with a friend of mine um, who's an advertising guy called Hugh Williams, and we've been playing a game where he would say to me, "But you can't possibly find a connection between Napoleon Bonaparte and." Uh, Pygmy elephants, right. or something like that, and, <laughs> yeah. and I would find it. Great. It might, and, and because of the, the the rule we set was because mm. of the idea of six degrees of separation. Mm. Well, it's not now, do you know? That? Because of is social it? media, it's about three point five. Is now. it really? Yeah. Oh, is it narrow It's about three point five now. Wow. But um, yeah, because of the idea of six degrees of separation, I was allowed five intermediary stages. Okay, so right. I could go from fact to fact one to fact two to fact three up to fact four and then the final fact.
1: Right,
7: and
3: it became a bit of a game. And mm-hmm. after a while, I realised that these are actually quite interesting. These little chains. Yes, and then the but the real hallelujah moment came when I noticed that two of those chains were joined together
1: mm.
3: and then the second big, big hallelujah moment was when I realised that the end of one would go to the beginning of the first ah, okay. so consequently I then found I had a circle you start ah, with a fact go around this little journey of facts mm. all connecting each other and come back to where you started ah, and I thought lovely. that's a nice idea so yes. I, I thought can I write any more so I went away and eventually I wrote 30 of them right. and I thought maybe this is good for a book yes. so I, I pitched it um, I got an agent I got a deal with Pam McMillan at the time and uh, and it was originally. I have to say, I still prefer it to this day. I originally was going to call it the Six Degrees of Rick Wakeman. Right. Because Rick Wakeman is one of those people like Kevin Bacon who's just he, phenomenally connected. He is connected,
1: isn't he? Well the yeah. David Bowie thing he was well, right. I uh, mean he was the, the pianist on Life on
3: Mars and, and, yep. and uh and Space Oddity and, yep. but he was also the pianist on Cat Stevens, Morning Is Broken. Oh really? Basically any time you hear a sort of classic sounding yes. piano in the nineteen seventies or eighties, yeah, yeah. it's Rick Wakeman.
1: I do love that it's I, I know what you mean, those interesting people who do that, but they also did that. And it's not just yeah. they did that one. Well the other thing is he, he was one of the leading
3: um, lights in getting comedy stores stuff. Oh yeah, not did, the comedy it? store. Yes. I think Jean he was involved in them yeah. I mean, that's either.
1: right. Well, he used, to, he used to be on the T V Jonglers
3: show, he was the only non comedian who did that show. And um yeah, he's those, also connected yeah. with loads of different charities and he yeah. also plays golf and he's, he's also it, he's he? also quite religious as well. Plus of course he played with yes and all these big prog yep. bands and yep. and he's just so connected he just kept turning up all mm. the way through the book. Some of my favourite facts are ones where there's a there's this kind of incongruity built mm. into it by connecting two facts that seemingly are unrelated. I mean I, I love ones that I, I love the fact that Bruce Forsyth is older than sliced bread. <laughs> I mean, isn't that great? Wow. It, and, and, that makes you think. And it's the way you pitch yeah. the... I mean, that's, that's what writing QI is about. It's not mm. just about finding interesting facts. It, it's, it's pitching that fact in a way that mm. it gives the panel something to riff on. Yes. And makes the fact kind of sticky. Mm. I mean, the, the fact is Bruce Forsyth was born in A, and sliced bread was first developed in B, and mm. the fact that one is a year before the other, or a few months mm. before the other. You know, Bruce Forsyth's old, also older than Anne Frank. Really? Yeah, he was born the really? year before Anne Frank. Right. And it's really weird, because you get yeah. that strange disconnect, because Bruce Forsythe's still with us, but mm. Anne Frank is something we think of as, as an historical as figure. History. You know? Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that the pyramids were already, you know, the great pyramids of Giza were already a thousand years old, when there were still mammoths wandering around in Britain. That doesn't seem like it should be the case. I know, I know. I love the fact that, you know, the Wild West, when you watch those old Gary Cooper and John Wayne films, that's all taking back in the Victorian age. No, it's yeah, a,
1: across the world. Meanwhile, yeah, and in fact, yeah. the most uh, I've actually yes.
3: covered on QI once before. You know, the most popular hat in the world west was the bowler. Everyone Rough. wore a bowler hat.
1: Yes, yeah.
3: And virtually no steps at all except amongst sort of Mexicans.
1: And... One of my offshoots is I, I, there's a website I set up years ago called themovietimeline.com dot com, which I sort of let just do its thing. And it's um, you know kind of events, any event that's mentioned in a film listed, mm. and people now sort of use a. I don't even touch it now. People just add to it. And it's got a bit out of control, a little bit. But it started out with this. I when well, I noticed that. Um, While well, Al Capone was doing all the untouchables kind of yeah, stuff, at uh. uh, that exact same, I think, same week, um, King Kong was meant to be patrolling around New York and <laughs> squashing. And I think if that's happening there and that's happening there at the same moment, yeah. isn't that quite, you know, quite nice? It's a big to news week, isn't it? It's a big week. Week to
3: bury bad news. <laughs> it
1: is. is. Cameron would have a field day. Absolutely. I think my absolute
3: favourite, I mean, mm. if you want one to end on, I think mm. my absolute favourite of those incongruous ones is the fact that you could have gone by tube to see the last public execution by hanging in the UK. Wow. They overlap just slightly really? at the very really? beginning of the tube and the very last. I mean, executions yeah. carried on until the 60s, but the last public execution, wow. you could actually have gone to see by tube. And they got to get the tube home again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that that's amazing. amazing, isn't it?
1: Didn't I hear somewhere that um, France had execution by guillotine after Star Wars was out?
3: Yeah, the same year. It stopped
1: 77. That's crazy. That,
3: that's how can, that, how can we live in a world where Chewbacca was a thing when that was still going on? Well, another extraordinary thing is that, is that again, they were, they were public up until mm. those executions were public up until a certain period of time. I can't remember what the year was now, but Christopher Lee, the great Hammer actor, was at the last French public guillotine really? uh, execution. Yeah, Wow. He was actually there
1: helping out or just sort of uh, I, I, researching a
3: role or just looking for lunch <laughs> just had a, had a ticket <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, yeah who, wow. knows, who knows how it actually wow. pushed his career in that a dark direction yes yeah, clearly, clearly the fact is yeah he was actually there at the last
1: career yeah my movie timeline website is still available and findable online every film ever chronologically organised for your browsing pleasure do have a gander speaking of uh, having a gander or indeed contributing something back we do have a bring a bottle section we like to invite our podcast listeners to to contribute something back, maybe sharing uh, something we've done online, liking us on Facebook, that sort of thing. This year we thought we'd give one further though, giving back to our guests. So uh, we do have, if you like our Facebook page, you will find there uh, an Amazon wish list we've created of books available. By, uh, by guests we've had on the show, a lot of them have written books, so if you go to our Facebook page, find that Amazon list, you will see the big list of all of the books of all of our guests, so why not have a look there, and maybe purchase one uh, for a Christmas for a friend, if you're very, very quick, or indeed for New Year, uh, you could have some nice reading from one of our guests, so why not give something back to one of our guests this week, that would be fantastic. While we're giving back things, we should actually give a big shout out, uh, if if that's what they call it uh, nowadays, to, even though they're not listening, but Kermode and Mayo's podcast. I'm well aware we have sort of inherited the corner thing. We have Name Droppers Ingle Nook, we have the Trivial Cove Joke Corner, uh, and Mayo's uh, and Kermode's podcast do have these corners as well. So um, we're very grateful to them. And That wasn't a, a knowing uh, inspiration to this, but by about four episodes in, I started to realise that, I think they had that idea first. So a big big thank you to Kemo De Mayo. And if you're not listening, well, you, you probably are. It's the, it's the number one podcast in Britain, I believe. Um, so uh, speaking of films, now, I was just thinking about the blockbuster video uh, revolution that we had years ago. That it means they're no longer on our high streets. We've lost blockbuster video. Um, and uh, it was a shame, wasn't it, Richard Woods?
6: I remember blockbuster. Blockbusters used to be a day out for us. On a Sunday, we would go out and... We'd go to blockbusters, we'd get a couple of DVDs, we'd go mm. to the shop, we'd get a few packs of crisps or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. You would then go to Starbucks, get a coffee and go home. Mm. Um, and that that used to be my Sunday. Yeah. And um, a couple of kids get in the way of that now. But also so. the fact yeah, yeah. there is no blockbuster as no, well. I know. Also, and and it's, yeah. it became sort of a really big routine. So I think we were one of the last people to ever go yeah. to Wasn't there? Wasn't there a... Wasn't there a Another theme wasn't blockbuster. Wasn't it called Hits or something? And wasn't uh, there yeah. one in Windlesham where yes. the old wine oh, yeah. shop used, was, was? It where the wine the shop used to be. Yeah. Really? yeah, yeah. I used
1: to be. We used to be a member there. Yeah, we used to member there and in Wildings, we had the uh, little laminated card. <laughs> yeah, <we'd go> <laughs> okay. the, But I mean, Wendell. you you were an eighties baby, or well, did you just yeah. know Born in seventy
6: nine. I was. Oh, so you yeah. weren't. Okay, so, that's right. Right. so, oh, so but yeah. but yeah. you remember? What, do you remember the uh, the, the film? Oh. Oh, it's going to be one of those really annoying things where I, I start a sentence, I can't remember what. It, it, it was a film where there were lots of kids in a music record store, and it was.
1: Uh, I can't even remember it now. Kids in a record store. 80s. I mean, it sounds very 80s, doesn't it? Straight away.
6: It was, yeah, and it was, like yeah, yeah, it was like this. Well, Yeah, yeah, it was one of these
4: iconic right. films
1: the
6: kid growing up, and they're all working. Is it, it, it Empire is, Records? Yes, Empire Records. This Empire Records. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's a brilliant yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah, would yeah. imagine Richard Branson and Virgin right. of sorts yeah, to a beam yeah, yeah, like yeah. in the time. Yes. and it's brilliant. And that whole going mm. to somewhere to go and live popular culture, yes. and be part of it, Absolutely. and be able to acquire mm. a piece of popular culture yeah. like a DVD or or even a you know an L. LP, if we go yeah. up further than our generation, yeah. um, and uh, and now where do you go? ITunes. I know this is it. You're sitting on
1: your sofa and you haven't moved. So it's why there's this Your uh, record shops coming back again, mm. and people
4: going there just to have cause it's the experience of going there, and it's not just downloading the MP3. But I, I'm a, an avid collector with um, uh, more spaces filled with LPs than um, my wife is comfortable yeah. with. It's probably <laughs> fair to say. Fair but, and I just I, I think a the sound is better. Right. As a bit of a musician, yeah. the, 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 the depth is greater because with compressed music on CD, mm. you lose the, the top end and the bottom end. So you get, okay. you know, the music gets kind of scrunched into a a, right. a, a, a shorter. So
1: let's, because uh, I'm useless at this sort of stuff. So when, when you say top end and bottom end, do you mean like bass and anti-bass what's the opposite of bass soprano yeah, i don't yeah, know the
4: the, the, the treble it, end of things okay okay right but it's also it's also i think it, it's got a warmer feel mm. right. somehow and i don't know quite the mechanics of that i'm not so yeah. technically minded but you know when you stick a, vi- a needle on a bit of vinyl yeah and you've got a decent pair of speakers you know if it's a live album it's like you're mm. at the gig If it's uh, a really intimate little acoustic album or something, it's like the guy's in the room with you. And I just remember it was much more of an event. You know, you would actually ask your mate round to your house to Mm. sit down and listen to the new Bowie album or the new Led Zeppelin or whatever it might be. And you really did, you you listened to the thing. You know, now music quite often tends to be while you're doing other Mm. stuff. It's on in the background, or it's incidental, or it's yeah. in the car, or it's, you know. Yeah, they never quite managed to put vinyl in the car, did they? They never quite managed to get it. It'd be fun. <laughs> trying it would have been wouldn't nice, it? wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They oh. did. They did come up with decks that were vertical. At one oh, really? Point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you could hang it on the wall. Okay. I don't know how that how works. that worked quite.
1: The the needle would go on. I suppose I could see it working
4: it, Yeah, just It yes provided they found a way of it not falling off yeah the, the, the of the course sort of, um, yeah
1: yeah a bit of glue is what you need how many think. you
4: got then what do you what do you reckon uh, I haven't counted but I would think probably somewhere between 500 and a thousand really I should think I was expecting like 80 no we're no, beyond no, 80 no. oh yeah Oh yeah, I would say. I mean 000. they don't actually when you when you stack oh, yeah. them together, a hundred actually doesn't take mm. as much space as you think. Yeah. So yeah. They wow. do need thinning out though. I do say right. that for the benefit of my family. <laughs> but what you'll do, you'll thin them out and then you go to a charity shop a year later and go, Oh, I'll buy the one back again. Yeah, there you are. yeah well it might happen. Yeah. I need to I need to go to a record sale and have a good a good yeah. shift of stuff. But I mean, you know, the great thing is um, there is a lot more interest in it now, but I don't think
6: there is going. I don't think it is going back again. That is that's that's just like a nostalgia it's a bit trend, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which isn't which isn't through the younger populations, which means it will have a shelf life.
1: Well, true, and I suppose you know if the LP thing, there are this one or two record shops in funky Brighton or in the yeah. Studio, yeah. Um, I can't quite see that there's going to be a retro Blockbuster video. Um, yeah, I've go <laughs> yeah. got video players anymore for a start. But yeah, I, we used to go along and oh, that was lovely. I remember when Blockbuster started closing and there were all those bargains to be had. You go in there and. Oh, yeah, 99p um, for a DVD yeah, you yeah. have to bring it back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've still got a lot full of VHS going, what am I going to do with it? Yeah, exactly. Know. rip I, it. I'm going to transfer <laughs> that lot of nonsense. Richard Woods does speak business sense, doesn't he? I need to learn a thing or two. Uh, here's why I'm begging you for ratings and reviews on iTunes. If you can bump us up the whole thing, that would be always nice, of course. Uh, anyway, our seventh guest this week, Belinda Campbell. She's been on us before uh, and uh, talking about her father, who was a, a big uh, TV producer back in the 80s, but he was also a writer. And While we are here looking at retro comedy, from Ben Elton's warm-up on Blackadder II to, to Sir Jimmy Cricket Esquire, be great to get Belinda back here with her museum. In fact, she's brought props uh, about her late father, who was one of the writers for The Two Ronnies.
7: Well, um, on that pink piece of paper mm. over there, that's all oh, the yes. work that my dad got involved oh, yeah. with. So he did write for Dave Allen and other people as well.
1: And generation game.
7: Yeah, so he was very funny, my dad. But, of course, I was younger and I he passed away when I was 14 or 15. So although he made me laugh, I, mm. I couldn't tell you you know, loads of different things he used to say to me.
1: It's a different generation thing, isn't it? Yeah, I I looked up to him, I
7: idolised him, and Mm. um, he did make me laugh a lot. We made him laugh. And his sister says of him that he was a real people watcher and he could write something very funny out of just Mm. normal situations, just make them sound really funny. So obviously he was good at what he was doing; otherwise, he wouldn't have written for the two Runnies and Dave Allen and yeah. people like that.
1: Groucho Marx, yeah, Groucho Marx—that's that's old school, isn't it? Michael Bernie Winters, Tommy Cooper, yeah, Rowan Martin's laughing, yeah, classic, classic so comedy. He, so he obviously it? had a what a wow. talent. Wow, wow but great. I didn't, as mm-hmm. I was
7: not an adult, so I didn't couldn't appreciate all his.
1: Yes, yeah,
0: yeah.
7: But I do remember having the giggles with him. I, I just in Twickenham down by the river, a conker fell on his face and. He was bleeding. We were all in stitches for ages, the three <laughs> girls and him. And, you know, so he made us laugh. And then he well got as... stitches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's a great heritage
1: to be part of, isn't it? And, you know, I mean, the, t- for the two Ronnie's for me is, yeah. I think, is, as good as it gets. Yeah. Um, love it. Um, so there's a book here, More of the Two Ronnie's, the best of the Ronnie's dialogue. And uh, he's one of the guys. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, wow. really proud of him. Very good. Very good. The last word this week from Jimmy Cricket. Yeah, wow. Uh, before we were talking about just many various names of you know uh, Ken Dodd and yeah. um, and other people you've mm-hmm. seen over what the the, pe- the performers you've seen over the years who have you found to be particularly inspirational or just downright funny or just the best performers you've
2: seen? Yeah, I think Ken just is he, right up there. Ken and Bobby and Tommy, I just really love them and I'm. I just think, are we going to see any more double acts? They're so precious, you know? They're rare, aren't they? They are, yeah. they are and because I love yeah. that double, I was probably if I had got a straight man I probably wouldn't be in a double act <laughs> yeah, yeah. because then I can create the mayhem I should have do it now using the audience as a straight man I suppose, but uh, the, um, yeah Bobby and Tommy um, I'm trying to think, uh, Stu Francis I mean the Crankies mm. are lovely too the yeah. Crankies still, they don't Obviously, they, they do their pantomime in, in Glasgow, but they're very mm. professional uh, when any time I've watched them. But, like yourself, Paul, I really do love you and Milton Jones and Tim Vine, and I'll be the first one people say, Well, what about the, you? Know? I'll throw your names at them because you've, you're, you're clean, the whole family can watch you, you see, mm. and, and, that's, and, and sit and enjoy it, and that's so important. I think really for comedy to be wholesome and that, you know, means you have to work a bit harder. But hey, that's all the better because then you're you're raising the bar for yourself, you know.
1: And indeed next week's podcast uh, has Tim Vine. Milton Jones are both on it, in fact. What a lineup we got next week. Tim Vine, Miranda Hart, more for Milton Jones and Sally Phillips. It's the dream team as if this week's team wasn't dreamy enough. <laughs> thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. Pleasure, much. Pleasure. thank you. Pleasure Paul. Now, if you like our Facebook page, you will see that link to the Amazon wish list of books from our contributors. Do uh, have a look there. Richard Woods' book is The Digital Trailblazer. Dave Thompson has a book. Stephen Colgan has, has many books. Um, and do have a a gander there. Jimmy Cricket even has his letters to his mammy and indeed his Christmas single, Santa Bring My Wellies Back to Me. I do hope that Santa brings you what you would like for Christmas. I'm hoping he's going to bring me a a new cornea and indeed a working computer that hopefully won't delete podcasts as I'm about to launch them. That's always a
0: shame anybody said to you today So
1: anyway, have a blessed break, a Merry Christmas an awesome Advent, a nice New Year uh, Here's Rob Halligan's music to play us out. Oh, and while we're here, let's thank Sam Gould as well for his podcast artwork. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Rob, for the music.
0: Uh,
1: and Merry Christmas, everybody. See you in
0: 2017.